Hi, welcome to the New Covenant Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Amen. Brothers and sisters, please do remain standing and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, we're going to be looking at verses 5 through 12 this morning. Again, Matthew chapter 16, verses 5 through 12. Please give your attention now to the reading of God's holy word. Now when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, it is because we have, not, we have taken no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, O oh, you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up, nor the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many baskets you took up? How is it you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Thus far the reading of God's word. Uh, brothers and sisters, you may be seated. Let's go to the Lord once again in prayer. Uh, Father, we, we do pray that you would bless now the preaching of your word as we think about uh, this warning against the, the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Lord, how we do pray that you would build us up in true doctrine, build us up in the things that are truly taught in your word, that we might remain faithful uh, to it. We ask that you would grant us the grace to be able to heed this warning against the leaven of all kinds of false doctrine. And Lord, that we would be zealous to maintain uh, the truth as it has been proclaimed uh, even all the way through, uh, through all the ages, uh, as your church has maintained uh, the, the truth of the scripture as it has been given uh, once for all through the prophets and the apostles. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would bless the, even this sermon to this end, that you would use it to so build up your people. For we do ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Oftentimes, as we think about the effects of false doctrines and if you think about the, the debates about this or that doctrine and uh, the things that various people call false or not, um, oftentimes there is an argument that is used that is, uh, has been called the slippery slope argument. So the idea is that uh, not, only, not only is a doctrine bad in of itself, but also there is usually an argument that a bad doctrine will lead to other bad doctrines. And this is something that is, uh, that is in fact an important uh, part of understanding a false doctrine. So the point is that a false a person may, be, may teach something false on one point, and he may not deny the, the entire system of doctrine of Christianity in the beginning. He may really only be focused on one little point, but then the point is that those who oppose the doctrine will say that, that well, if you ab agree with this point of doctrine, the problem is that there is a foundation to this false doctrine and that if you admit the foundation, it's going to affect other doctrines. And the, the point is that, is that then that a false point in doctrine can spread to other areas of doctrine. And in this sense, then, uh, very often what will happen is those who are 
teaching the doctrine on the false point will say, well, that sort of argument is a slippery slope fallacy, that there's actually, it's actually a logical argument. They'll say, well, I'm not arguing for that other point. I'm only arguing for this one point. And, I'm, and you may argue that it leads to these other points, but I don't say that it leads to that. And therefore, your argument is not valid. And the question, uh, one of the questions we need to think about with regard to the nature of false teaching is, is it wrong to think about where a doctrine leads, where a false doctrine may lead if it is not cut off? Um, is it wrong for us to say, well, this is bad, but it's maybe not as bad as this other thing. But if we, if we accept this one bad thing, will it in fact lead to other bad things as well? Now, this is a little bit, speaking a little bit abstractly at this point, but just as an example, a practical example, we, we can take the, uh, our brothers and, uh, brothers and sisters in the, in the PCA, the, the arguments that they are going on right now with regard to the views of homosexuality. And you'll know that, that, that there are many faithful men and uh, women who are holding to the truth with regard to this particular issue within the PCA. Uh, I, I come from the PCA myself. I, I love the PCA. It's a, it's a great church. Uh, however, uh, there are some in the PCA who are pushing for a view of homosexuality that has been called uh, side B homosexuality, so a, a side B view of homosexuality. And the idea is, is that th this group is saying homosexuality is wrong. It's not a good thing. It is even a sin. And yet they will say, even though that is the case, that a person can be born as a homosexual and can never change. And therefore, a, a Christian could be a homosexual Christian. And if that is the case, they, so the argument goes, uh, what they say is that there's actually an extra cross that the homosexual Christians have to bear that we need to be uh, aware of and we need to even respect them for, that here are people who are trying to live faithfully and, uh, and they're not acting on their homosexuality and they say that it's wrong and yet they, they do have this nature and identity. Uh, what some people are arguing against this is not only is this wrong, I, I would be somebody who would oppose this, um, but a, a common argument is, is that not only is this wrong, it's wrong in and of itself, but it also does lead to worse things. The idea is that if you if you grant so much of the premise with regard to the LGBTQ movement that particularly that you can have this identity that cannot change, if you grant that, that, that sort of premise to them, uh, the problem is, is that what's going to happen is, is, is there will eventually be a full acceptance of homosexuality. And this is, this you could call it a slippery slope, but the, 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 the thing I'm going to argue is that that slippery slope has always been slippery, uh, that, that there really is a slope and it really does lead uh, that way. And uh, this is, in fact, then an important point to note about false doctrine is that it does not typically stay in one spot. It, it, it usually is not isolated. It will lead ultimately to other things. And this is an important point for us to keep in mind about the nature of false doctrine because what the Lord Jesus Christ here is speaking about is about the nature of false doctrine as a whole. He's using the, the illustration of leaven, particularly the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, to describe something about the nature of false doctrine. And the point is, is that all false doctrine must be vigorously opposed. It all must be vigorously opposed. The, the truth of the gospel must be maintained without any compromise. Now, this particular passage is building on the previous one. You remember that uh, last week we looked at the way in which the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're coming together. They're asking the Lord Jesus Christ for a sign. 
Uh, Christ is clearly opposed to them. Uh, he says he will not grant to them any sign, even though there had been lots of signs that had been done. He will not uh, submit himself to their demand. The only sign he will give to them is the, the sign of the resurrection, which he speaks as in a parable. Uh, now, the next passage, which we're at in today, uh, Christ gives a warning to the disciples about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And this warning, though it is about the Pharisees and the Sadducees in particular, as we will see, this is communicating a principle about false doctrine that has always been true. It was true then, it, is, it was true all throughout all the history of the church, and it remains true today. That false doctrine is like leaven. It is like leaven, and we must be aware of the leaven of all kinds of false doctrine. Uh, now, we'll look at this passage under three headings. Uh, spending really the bulk of our time on the last heading, but we'll look first at the, the, the warning against the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees that's given, basically in a parable. Um, this passage works a lot like all the other parable passages uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. Christ will say a parable. The people want to understand it. The disciples want to understand it. Then he gives the explanation, or at least here we'll see implies the explanation. And so we'll look at this passage under those three headings, the, the parable itself as it's given, the lack of understanding, and then the explanation of the parable uh, in verse 12. So we'll look first then uh, briefly at verses uh, 5 through 7, uh, the actual warning against, uh, against the leaven of the Pharisees and, and the Sadducees. You'll note that this is uh, the, the setting of this parable as it's given is the people, the disciples don't have bread, so they have forgotten bread, and this is the thing that leads to Christ saying, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Uh, notice it's very important, as we saw last week, that the Pharisees and the Sadducees are being put together again. And this is significant. This, this happened for the first time in Matthew's gospel in chapter 16. And it is significant because, as I noted last week, the Pharisees and the Sadducees believed essentially opposite things on very many points. They were essentially opposite on a number of points, and yet here uh, they are being lumped together. They came together to challenge Christ, and now Christ himself is lumping them together with regard to this leaven uh, that he is warning the disciples of. Uh, both of them are opposed to each other, and yet, however wrong they may be, or however much they think the other is wrong, both of them will come together to oppose the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, now, this then leads to the disciples uh, discussing among themselves, you know, what could this possibly mean? And, uh, you know, they, they clearly don't understand uh, what is going on. And this will lead to a, a rebuke of, of the disciples in verses 8 to 11 from the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's important to note as we think about, uh, again, the disciples not being able to understand this parable. We are reminded again of the reality that knowledge of God is sovereignly given. We've seen this over and over again with regard to the parables uh, in Matthew's gospel. We saw it over and over again, particularly in chapter 13. This is the, the main point. Uh, if you are to know God, it must be because it is sovereignly given by God. The disciples don't understand. The Pharisees don't understand. The people don't understand. But why is it that the disciples end up knowing God? It's because Christ explains the meaning of the parables to them. Christ is the one who communicates to them. He chooses to reveal it to some, and he chooses not to reveal it uh, to others. And the point is, then, is that if you know God, it is not because you are intellectually more gifted. You, you are like the disciples. You have simply had knowledge revealed to you, 
that was not revealed to others. That's important always to remember as we think about uh, the purpose of parables. So it's one of the main purposes of, of the parables to show that the knowledge of God is in fact uh, sovereignly given. You'll notice then further in verses 8 through 11 that, this, there, that, that then there's a rebuke. The, the, the disciples clearly don't understand what's going on. And Christ appears to be shocked that the disciples do not understand. Uh, the point of Christ being shocked is to, to communicate that the disciples ought to have understood. Christ is saying that the, the, the record of Christ being so surprised uh, clearly implies that he believes, uh, Christ believes that it, it ought to have been clear based on all the things that have happened that Christ was not speaking about the leaven of bread. It ought to have been crystal clear and yet the disciples still fail to understand. Uh, now, um, you'll notice the reason why Christ says it should have been clear and obvious is because of the miracles of the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000. You remember that during this section in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, there's been these uh, various responses to the Lord Jesus Christ. But one of the things that we've seen, particularly with regard to the people, is that there's been um, this miracle with, with regard to the feedings that's happened twice. And what, we have, what, what I've been arguing is that with regard to these miracles, is that they are meant to communicate spiritual truths, that they were not meant to just be miracles in and of themselves, but they were meant to communicate something particularly about who the Lord Jesus Christ is and the nature of the kingdom of God. That's the point of those particular miracles. And if that is the case, and if that point was recognized, then when Christ then speaks in parables that are related to bread, that's already a clue that there is, there is something of the spiritual nature of the, the parable or the metaphor that should have been clear. That if, if it is the case that Christ is able to feed 5,000 people with just five loaves and two fish, or if he's able to feed 4,000 people with just a few loaves and a few fish, if he's able to do that, and then the, and then the disciples forget bread, surely there would never be a situation where they would, be in, where they would need to ask the Pharisees or the Sadducees for leaven, to leaven their dough in order to make bread. Clearly, that would never be the case. And if that is the case, if that is the case, then clearly the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking about something other than mere leaven. That should have been clear. And therefore, and therefore he gives this rebuke. He says, O oh, you of little faith, O oh, you of little faith, I have done all of these things for you. I've, I've shown you all these things. Oh, you of little faith, how slow of heart you are, as he says in another place, to believe all the things that are written of me in the scriptures. How slow of heart you are to receive the testimony and all the miracles uh, that I have done. Uh, brothers and sisters, as we hear this particular rebuke, you'll know that this rebuke is made uh, all throughout the Gospels. Oh, you of little faith, always said of the disciples or of uh, the people who are trying to follow Jesus in general. Uh, always of, of these disciples, uh, oh, you of little faith, Brothers and sisters, as you hear that rebuke, it's important always to consider the way in which we are like the disciples. How often are we worthy of this rebuke from the Lord Jesus Christ? How often are we of little faith and needing the same lessons over and over and over and over again? Uh, as I mentioned with regard to the feeding of the 4,000, the reason why the miracle was done twice and the reason why it's recorded twice is because the lesson was meant to be emphasized. It was taught once and then it was taught again. 
And now the disciples are showing that they need the lesson even yet a third time. And how often are we like that, where God will teach us something, and then it'll be proclaimed in the scriptures. It'll be proclaimed in the preaching of the word. And then we will need it again. And then we will fail again. And we will need it again. And when we understand that, what we have to recognize is that we are like the disciples. We are like those who are of little faith. And brothers and sisters, when we see that we are like the disciples, it's important for us to recognize uh, that God is the one, as we've noted, who sovereignly gives this knowledge of the kingdom of God. And therefore, when we find ourselves having little faith, it is necessary for us to go to God and to ask that he would reveal the scriptures more fully to us, that he would give us the heart to receive it. You'll notice that that is actually uh, very often the difference. It is almost always the difference between those who, who end up believing and those who don't believe. Are you willing to submit yourself to the teaching of the scriptures or do you stand above it in order to judge it? And very often, this is the thing that makes us those of little faith, is very often we are unwilling to submit ourselves to the teaching of Scripture. And if that is the case, we always need to be asking God to humble us that we might receive the testimony of the Scripture as it has been given, that He would increase in this way uh, our faith. You'll, you'll notice that this is even the, the great distinction between the disciples and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. As I noted, uh, both of them fail to, to understand the parables very often. Uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees don't understand who the Lord Jesus Christ is or they're unwilling to recognize it. But why is it that the disciples are those who receive the knowledge? Partially it's because they're the ones who are humble enough to come to the Lord Jesus Christ and to request that it be revealed to them. Whereas the Pharisees and the Sadducees, rather than coming and making requests and saying, I don't understand, teach me, they stand over Christ and say, we demand that you give us a sign in order for us to receive your testimony. The disciples come and they say, Lord, we don't understand. Please explain it to us. That is the example of faith seeking understanding. And that is what the disposition that we are to have with regard to the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we do not understand, we do not, we do not say that the word of God is wrong. We rather say, please explain to me how I am to understand this particular word. Now, all of that is basically set up for uh, verse 12, where we have uh, the actual revelation of what false teaching is like. And here we are told that false teaching is like leaven. Uh, this is where they, they finally come to understand. Once the Lord Jesus Christ gives the disciples this rebuke, uh, then he tells them, uh, that then, then they understand implicitly from his words uh, that it is not the leaven of bread, but rather the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees that they are to be aware of. Now, there are two points that I want to make with regard to this statement, the, the idea that we are to be aware of the leaven of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the leaven which is the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The first is, is uh, that you'll notice that the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, though opposite, are said to be one. They are actually the same. There is, it's not the leaven of the Pharisees, and the leaven of the Sadducees. It is the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. There's only one leaven that the Lord Jesus Christ is warning the people against. And this is, this is especially striking in light of the reality that the Pharisees and the Sadducees believed opposite things. So for instance, the Sadducees said, only the Torah, only the things written by Moses. That's the only thing that counts. The Pharisees say, the Torah, all the prophets, the Psalms, and even tradition. All of those things are the things that count. The Bible says only the things that are canon. 
the, which for the Old Testament would be, uh, you know, the Torah, the prophets, and the Psalms. So the, so the Bible is, is in one spot, and the Pharisees are all the way over here against the Bible. The Sadducees are all the way over here against the Bible. The Bible appears to be saying the doctrine that's in the middle, and yet Christ says there is one leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Another example, the Sadducees say there's no resurrection. There's no immortality of the soul. There are no angels. The Pharisees say yes to all of them. Uh, once again, it seems like there, there are opposites. The Pharisees say one thing, the Sadducees say the, uh, say the other. It appears that their doctrine could not be more different. And yet, Christ speaks of the single leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, why would this be? Why, why would Christ speak about the single leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? The answer is because false doctrines that often appear to be diametrically opposed to each other often have the exact same foundation. That there's actually something, the most fundamental point is actually the thing that they're in error on. And that most fun fundamental point, once you miss on that, often will produce diametrically opposed ways of trying to understand reality. And that is what the Lord Jesus Christ is pointing to. There is, there is something that's fundamentally the same between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, even though they are diametrically opposed to one another. Just to give some examples through history of this very thing, Augustine in the 5th century notes this with regard to the Pelagians and the Manichaeans. Uh, he says that they believe basically exactly the opposite things. Uh, they, they uh, on the one hand, the Manichaeans believed uh, that, that there's not a good God who's the creator of all things. They believed that there was a principle of evil that existed from eternity. And the Pelagians believed that God did create all things good. And they believe even further that man can be completely good. So that would appear to be exactly the opposite. Both of them are different from the Bible, and they're exactly the opposite. Uh, the Manichaeans believe that there are these principles of bad and of lust that need to be, uh, which meant that, that physical things were looked down upon and not good. Uh, the Pelagians actually taught that certain lusts were actually not even sinful. Uh, again, these appear to be exactly the opposite. But what Augustine goes on to say is that, the, that they are actually the same. They're actually the same because the thing that both of them will never admit is that God made all things good, man fell, and that therefore there is a need for salvation by grace. That is the thing that both of them will refuse to admit in, in, in every single case, that the, the bad things that we see come from a fall that has affected everybody. Therefore, there's a need for salvation by grace. And it is that first denial that leads to opposite ways of trying to conceive of reality. Both of them are inadequate, but they are actually still one. The, the, the error is still just one error, even though they end up being on either sides of the scriptures. Another uh, example of this that is uh, a, a more recent example in the recent centuries is the distinction between legalism and antinomianism. These uh, look like they are exact opposites when it comes to the law. Legalists believe that uh, the law must be obeyed for justification. The idea is that, that we are able to obey the law and we must obey the law to some extent in order to be justified. Uh, that justification in some way includes good works. Antinomians say that the law does not need to be kept at all, that we can be saved from our sins and there's no need to keep the law at all. Now, again, this appears to be exact opposites. There, you, you, would, you would think that with regard to the issue of the law, there could not be teachings that are more opposite. And yet, there is something actually that both of them are holding in common, which is that the law is not good in and of itself and to be obeyed in the way in which it was given. So as an example of this, the legalists 
and the Pharisees were guilty of this. This is what uh, Christ says in Matthew chapter 15. Legalists must always change the nature of the law in order to make it more possible to obey. They must make it possible to obey by changing it. Therefore, the law in its strict sense does not need to be obeyed. Now, if that's the case, they're starting to sound a lot like the antinomians who also say that the law does not need to be obeyed. Uh, you, you, you either must, if you deny the biblical doctrine of justification and sanctification, which is what they're doing, if you deny the biblical doctrine of justification and sanctification, then either the law must be changed to make us be able to, to, uh, to obey it or, it, or it does not need to be obeyed at all. But what is being excluded is sincere obedience out of a heart of love for God. That is the thing that is being denied by both the legalist and the antinomian. And therefore, though these errors appear to be opposites, they are actually one. They are actually one. Another example of this, uh, even, even a more modern example of this, is uh, the view of, of how to even just see reality. Uh, you think of modernism versus postmodernism. I know these are sort of abstract terms, uh, but it's important to, to understand because the, the, uh, we, we live in worlds that are dominated by this way of thinking. Uh, modernists taught that, the great that there's great virtue in pursuing objective truth, and they taught that you must cast aside all feelings and look merely at the facts. If you're just completely detached emotionally from the object of your study, then you can get to objective truth. Postmodernists deny the ability to get to objective truth at all. Seems to be the opposite of the modernists. And they teach that feelings are the only way that facts should be interpreted, that you cannot interpret facts without the inclusion of feelings. Now, again, this appears to be diametrically opposed ways of viewing reality. And yet, ultimately, the errors of modernism and postmodernism are the same. Both of them are trying to understand the idea of truth after having rejected the truth of the scriptures and the truth of God. The modernist says, I can get there without God. And the postmodernist says, no, you can't. Both of them agree, though, that, you, that God is not the foundation for truth. And uh, that produces these wildly different uh, ways of viewing reality. The point is that, they, that these opposite things are, in fact, one. One last example of this is uh, feminism and transgenderism. Uh, feminism is typically thought as being the pursuit of women's rights. Transgenderism teaches that there is no such thing as a woman at all. There could be, there could be nothing that is more diametrically opposed th th than this, the pursuit of women's rights, and there, there is no such thing as a woman, therefore a man can have all the, the rights of all, the, of all women. However, the foundation for both is actually the same. It, is the, it was the feminists who taught that there is nothing that's inherently feminine, there's nothing that's according to the female nature that, uh, that would govern the way a woman should act, and that even the idea of gender is socially constructed. The point is that men and women are essentially the same, and the transgenders are just saying, if that's true, then we can change it, which is the logical conclusion of, of what the, the, the feminists are saying. Even though the two hate each other, and even though the two are diametrically opposed to each other, the foundation is the same. The air is the same. It's actually just one leaven of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And the point is, is to say that this is very often the case, that false doctrines will appear. They appear to be very varied. They appear to be very different from each other. They, it appears that there's a lot of infighting. And yet, what we saw last week is what we always see, that the, because the most fundamental error is to deny the truth of the scriptures, both of them will lay down their weapons in the fight against one another in order to fight against Christianity. And the reason is because is that at bottom, there is just one error. There is always just one error. 
And therefore, brothers and sisters, we are to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The point is, is that we are to think about false doctrines in terms of the most fundamental thing that's being asserted, the most foundational thing. We are to say that on those points, we will build our foundation on the scriptures and the scriptures alone. And we will therefore, from that foundation, work out all the implications and consistency with those first principles. The, the, the fair, beware of the leaven of both the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So that's the first point, which is that opposite ideologies very often have the same foundation. This is true of the nature of false teaching in general. The second important thing to note is something about the nature of leaven is being related to false teaching. The question then is, why did Christ choose leaven as the thing to compare to false teaching? What, 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 was, what was significant about leaven itself that enabled it to be a good metaphor for false teaching? The answer is because leaven works itself through the entire lump of dough. The idea is that a, a false teaching does not just stay where it is. It will eventually infect the entire lump. And that's something about the nature of false teaching that we are to understand. This is actually the point of the use of the, of the, the metaphor of leaven all throughout the, the New Testament. Um, you'll remember that uh, even sometimes it's used positively. Matthew chapter 13, Christ speaks of the kingdom of, of heaven like leaven. And the point there is that the gospel permeates the entire world. There it's a good thing, but the point is that the, the reason leaven is appropriate as a metaphor is because the gospel permeating all things is like leaven that permeates the whole lump of dough. Uh, it's used negatively in a different context with the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, where he speaks of the context of sin in the church. And what he's, what he's saying there is that, you know, you have to discipline, have discipline in the church, because if you don't, sin is like leaven. And if you don't deal with sin, it will simply grow. It will simply spread. Therefore, it must be rooted out completely. If you leave a little bit of leaven, then it is going to infect everything. And the point then of this particular metaphor in this context is to say that Christ is saying that false teaching works the same way. If it is not dealt with, it will spread like a cancer until it gets into everything and cannot be extracted. That is the nature of false teaching. The implication, therefore, is that if there is anything that is wrong, if there is anything that's a false teaching, it must be eradicated. It must be eradicated. There can be no compromise. Now, at this point, it's good to go back to the, the opening illustration, the, the, the slippery slope, the back to the slippery slope argument. This is the reason why this principle that false teaching is like leaven. That's the reason why slippery slope arguments are in fact correct. They, they, if they are done right, it could be done wrong, of course, everything can be abused. But a slippery slope argument can be made in a way that is cogent. The idea is that uh, all false teaching initially starts as something small. All of it does. And it always, always, without exception, will spread into other areas of doctrine. That is the nature of false teaching. And so as we go back to the example of the PCA with this side B view of homosexuality, it has been well documented that every single denomination has followed the exact same trajectory and that every denomination without exception that has embraced side B, a side B view of homosexuality has embraced the side A view and fully accepted it. And it eventually even fully ordained homosexuals into the ministry. And the reason is because it is like leaven. It is like leaven. The slippery slope is an argument, but the slippery slope has been proven true every single time. And the Lord Jesus Christ is teaching us here that we are to expect this is to be the case. 
we are to expect that where there is leaven that is not rooted out fully, that it will always spread. It will always spread into other areas. And therefore, brothers and sisters, as we think about false doctrine, our relationship to it, false doctrine, there can be no compromise. There can be none. Because every compromise, every compromise is saying we will allow the leaven to remain in the dough and we believe it will not spread, that we can contain it. But what Christ is saying here is that it cannot be contained. Now, I'm saying this as a warning to us. Uh, You know, it can be very easy to think, you know, we're in a conservative denomination that has held the line on the doctrine since its inception, which we're we're very grateful for. We pray that God would allow us to hold the line for many years to come. The, The point I want to make, though, with regard to this warning is that it is not automatic. It does not automatically happen. We, we should not assume because we have held the line to this point that we will hold the line even in the future. We must be zealous to maintain the truth of the scriptures as it has been delivered to us. Every denomination that has gone astray at one point was faithful. Every denomination at one point was faithful. And, the, and then at some point, there was a small compromise, always small at first. And it led to other compromises that eventually led to the the denial of the gospel itself. Now, I've given uh, some examples. Part of the reason for taking some of the time and going through specific examples is just to show uh, some of the areas that are, in fact, false teaching and the way that they work. Uh, But as we think about this or even any other issue, the the warning is this. uh, Let us not rest on the, our past faithfulness, let us heed the words of the Apostle Paul. Let he who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Let he who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. What are we to take heed to? We are to take heed to the warning of the scripture, and this is one of them. Beware of the leaven of those who distort the gospel. May God grant us the grace to stand firmly on the truth of scripture and that in the OPC we would always hold the line. Uh, without any compromise with false teachings. Uh, Let us pray. Oh, Father, uh, we do thank you uh, for your scriptures which teach us the right way to go. Lord, we are thankful even for the way in which your scriptures teach us the nature of false teaching that we might understand how we are to oppose it. Uh, And Lord, as we think about this particular warning, uh, we do pray that we would heed it that we would examine ourselves, examine the things that we believe, test them against the scriptures, and that we would uh, resolve it in our hearts, that we will never compromise on any doctrine that is truly taught in the scriptures, that we will maintain it with sincerity and uh, with faith, uh, with zeal, with love for you. Grant us this grace, O Lord, and we do pray that you would keep this church faithful as you have for so many decades, and that you would keep even Uh, even our denomination faithful, and your visible church all throughout the world, that you would uh, raise up those who will teach uh, truly according to the, the scriptures without compromise or without any fear of men. For we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can visit our website at newcovenantopc.com. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. If you've benefited from this ministry and want to know of ways you can help or support it, we'd like to make you aware of our new capital campaign to build a new building. God has recently blessed us with growth here at New Covenant. 
Over the years, our church has been small. It's gone up and down, but overall things have been tight financially and the church has been small. Now, by the grace of God, we are growing. We believe it wise in light of this to think about building a new building to facilitate even more growth. Our current building only seats 72. We cannot fit any more seats, and if we were to fill every single one, every Lord's Day we would have no more than 72. The plans for our new building would more than double the capacity and enable us to grow to a point where we can be stable financially and even be able to help other churches. One of the things that we want to, to be is a church that is able to look beyond itself for the sake of the advancement of the kingdom of God. We believe that this new building can help us get there. And so we are praying that God would provide for us the funds needed to build a new building, that we would grow to fill it, and that one day we would even be able to plant a church ourselves. As you know, doing ministry here in the Bay Area, this is a very dark place. Uh, there is a great need for the light of the gospel to shine, particularly in this place through the preaching of the word. And so if you want to support us and to, to support our efforts to see this new building built, please consider giving a financial gift to this end. You can give by sending us a check with building fund in the memo line. Our address can be found on our website. You can also give by Zelle by sending the money to nc.opcssf.treasurer at gmail.com with building fund in the memo line. May God bless you with a greater knowledge of his word and zeal for his name.